You hungry for the word? The word of life. The word of life that will transform your life. Amen. And so uh, when you when you know your life isn't in this world, amen, in your flesh, amen, it's in the Lord, it's in the word of life. Then you begin to treasure that word of life. Like nothing else. That's yeah. right. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I'm telling you, there is no greater treasure than no. the word of life. <laughs> That's, That's right. right. Amen. Yeah. Because that makes you complete. Yeah. Amen. 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 And it puts your flesh to rest. But when I heard about, the, I started look, listening to Greg, and I thought, boy, this guy, he's a wild man. <laughs> but I was listening to the words coming out of his yeah. mouth. And I said, the word of life. Yes, he's. He's a passionate, on fire. Oh, amen. I mean, it's just like you can't contain it. Amen? Yeah. Being born in birth. And so when you begin to life. listen oh, to the words of life, I yes. said, and I told, the, I told the church this several months ago. I told you all months ago about Greg. And I said, what this man is bringing to us, this body, yeah. is going to take us to a new level of understanding right. in amen. Jesus. Yes. Said that months ago, okay, and so that's what's happening, and the result of that is going to be a manifestation of life like you've never seen it, mm. and it's not going to be just—it's not going to be just a Christian cliche. I have a life of God in me. I like to sing about it. I like to say it. I like to say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. But how do you know that can be? even come can be a repetitive vain repetition repetition right yeah and so it just becomes a christian cliche and i'm telling you god doesn't want us just to parrot hello he doesn't want us just to parrot what he's given us he wants us to experience yeah. what he's given us yeah i'm telling you yeah. Experience the fullness of his life. Yeah. Amen. So I'm going to tell I'm out. Let's give Greg a warm welcome as he comes up here. Glory to God. Thank you guys for, for being here with me, for being here with the Lord. The Lord was the first one here. <laughs> it's amazing when you realize you don't have to ask the Lord to be here, you know. You realize he's already here, and you realize wherever you go, there he is also, because he's in you. Glory to God. Um, you guys bear with me as I get this set up. and um, it, It's amazing. So Brother Rick, you know, he says I'm, I'm a wild man, and I, I, I can't really disagree with that assessment, but now because he said it, watch, I'll be the most calm I've ever been in the history of Greg Henry. <laughs> And they'll be like, what? <laughs> Where's Greg? What happened to this guy? Hallelujah. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of things that I just want to say before we, we get started. I always stand up here and forget what it is that I came to minister. Um, I do it two ways. I pray up until the last moment, but I always pray before. I don't like recycling my messages. I'll say things that are similar, but I always pray with God about what do you want to say to these people, Amen. right? Not some other people that I've been around, but what does he want to say to these people? Um, and so 
with you guys, I felt like I had something clear, what I wanted to say um, to you guys today. Um, and also to myself. It's like, I need to be ministered to. I'm not here to minister to you. I'm here being ministered to with you by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit. And I actually tried to change what I had to say to you guys. And I even told Rick, oh, I think this is what I'm going to talk about now. Because we were having some conversations in the living room. And I went off and I was trying to put it together and it never could come together. And I was getting frustrated. You know, and then I just realized, wait a second. Well, forget that. I'm just going back to what I originally felt to talk about. But I want to say a couple of things. I was one of the ministers here at the conference, and I just want to thank all you guys here that are part of this church and everything you did to bring that conference together and everything you did, whether uh, in front of everybody or behind the scenes to help the conference come together and the way you guys loved on all of us ministers because we felt loved. I felt loved. I felt like home. Teresa, you made me feel like home. Um, the way you, you gave me that word, that was powerful. And so Thank you guys for the love that's in your hearts and um, the ministers felt ministered to. So it's no small thing what you guys have done. And I know that we do these things behind closed doors so that we can be seen of our father and not of people. I understand all that. Um, but what I want to say to you is I see you, right? I see you, right? I see your heart. I see God in you. And I felt God being with you all um, this past week. And I just want to thank... Um, Rick and Deanne for caring for my life and letting me be in their house. They've had me in their house for like 11 days, right? <laughs> it's kind of like that thing. I mean, you don't have to go, but you got to get up on out of here. <laughs> and so these guys, man, they never made me feel like that at all. And so thank you guys so much for caring for my life and for being a blessing to me and, and ministering to me. And it doesn't just mean something to me. It means something to the people back where I come from and my wife and our church there that I could come here and that I would be received this way, you know? And I just want to thank my precious wife who yes. does so much yes. to let me preach the gospel yes. and how she, she doesn't get to come, right, with me most of the time when I go. She doesn't get to see right? The joy in people's faces. She doesn't get to see, right? All the stuff that's happening. She stays behind to keep everything together. And she's behind the scenes holding our church together and holding our house together and holding everything together. And it's no small thing. And it's a difficult thing for me to be gone that long. And so I just want to thank her. And I want to thank everybody back at, at Gospel Revolution Church um, for, for loving me, supporting me, for supporting and loving the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Because it's not trendy to love the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? It's, it's not trendy. And so you're not always welcomed with open arms, you know? And so when you find a group of people that will stand next to someone that's preaching the word, man, it fills your heart with joy. And that's, kind of, that's how I feel about this fellowship, you know, that you guys are rejoicing in the word of truth here, right? And you have a, a minister here who's declaring the word of truth, the word of life. Right, That which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have held, which we have touched, of the word of life, that which has been from the beginning, that's the power of the gospel unto salvation. Right, This world wants to confuse, even Christianity wants to confuse all of our doctrines with all these different things that we think we need, with all these different things we think we need to do. But Paul said it real clearly. Paul, the great apostle, you know, you know what he said? Christ, the power and the wisdom of God. 
And we want to get off into all these other things over here and all these things over there because we say we need to be able to get this, we need to be able to get that, we need to be able to have this. And really all what we need is the word of life. Amen. Right? And so, man, Rick, Deanne, I honor you guys because everything in this world wants to move you off of that. Right? Everything wants to move you off of that. Right? And even the church world can try to move you off of that out of ignorance. And so, man, I just see God bowing his head, uh, honoring you guys, right? Because you haven't been moved. And it's not easy to not be moved. I mean, the Lord of glory, the word of life, when he told the people that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me, they all left. And he had 12 there. And he said, will you leave now also? And then at the cross, he had even fewer there. He had two. You're talking about the Lord of glory. He had two people there. And so thank you guys, Deanna and Rick, and thank all you guys for coming next to them and standing with them as they have stood in this truth and stood in this word, right? It's a great blessing in their lives. Yeah. Um, I just want to be transparent with you guys. I guess I don't really know any other way because I just wear my heart on my sleeve for, for better or for worse, but I love that song we were singing. All my life you have been faithful. You guys have to forgive me if I get emotional. But I said those words, and I would have proclaimed those words, but if I'm just being honest, I did not think God had been faithful to me all my life. There were times in my life where I thought, you have not been faithful with my life. There are times in my life where I felt like he was not caring for my life or giving my life the care that it needed. There were times in my life where I thought, don't you care, Lord? I mean, you know, like the disciples in the boat, right? Don't you care, Lord? Don't you see me perishing? There's been so many times where that's how I felt, that I'm perishing here, man. And if I'm perishing, it's got to be a sign that you're not taking care of my life. You're not even thinking of the care that my life needs. You're not even considering what I need to be cared for. And that left me all alone. And when I think back to all the times I felt tormented in my life with things like fear and anxiety, that's when it was. When I felt like God wasn't caring for my life and I needed to now care for my own life. I needed to go and get the things that I decided could give my life the care that it needs. Because he wasn't giving them to me, which means he didn't care. So now I got to carry the weight of caring for my own life. Well, over the last 10 years, one of the most powerful things that's happened in my life ain't got nothing to do with things going right around me, which is what I thought I needed for my life to be cared for. And now that I look back, I see that this guy was actually caring for my life. You don't see it sometimes when you're in the middle of it. You don't know what he's doing. You don't know what he's seeing. And thank God that he's so faithful that he'll let you be angry with him because he cares more about your life than you do. And he will not be deterred. He will not be moved from producing his life in you. Amen. He will not be moved. You can nail him to a cross because you think that he's not giving you the care that you need. You can nail him to a cross because you think he's not taking thought to care for your life. And he's still caring. And he's still working his purpose. But over the last 10 years, one of the most powerful things that's happened in my life is I've become persuaded. Amen. 
that he cares for me. Like a deep persuasion. And I've been persuaded that he has given my life the care that it needs to flourish and to be unceasingly fruitful and to be exceedingly fruitful. I've been persuaded that he's done something to care for my life, that this thing he's done to care for my life is so great that not even a drought, not even a scorching heat, nothing in this world can keep me from being fruitful. And when I talk about being fruitful, I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit, because that's true prosperity, right? True prosperity is of the heart. That's why James could come and say, Know ye not that the poor of this world are made rich in faith? And I'm not saying you can't have things. And I'm not saying it's evil if you have things. But true prosperity is prosperity of the soul, where there's an abundance flowing out of your heart, like a river of living water, where your heart is overwhelming and overflowing with peace and love and joy and kindness and meekness. Which Paul says, against such there is no law. And so I've been persuaded of that. And that's one of the most powerful things that's, that's happened in my life. And the, the world is always trying to give us evidence to the contrary. I don't know if you realize that. The world is always trying to convince you that God does not care. And that he is not giving your life the care that it needs. And sometimes it looks like it's got some compelling evidence. At least in, in my life, it did. Maybe you figured something out I haven't. But that's where all the torment comes in the world, the fear and anxiety that's in the world, right? That's where it comes from, the cares that pertain to the life that is of the world, right? And one of the things I see sweeping the world is an epidemic of fear and anxiety. That's one of the things that I see sweeping the world, right? And it breaks my heart when I see that. And so I thought, you know what? That's what I'm going to talk about so that we can have a deliverance from fear and anxiety. Because fear and anxiety wants to press in on people. Not just people in the world, it wants to press in on the church. Because the church is a light in the earth. But if the church is filled with fear and anxiety also, and the church is picking up the physical sword to fight with the world with the sword they're fighting with, we're not going to shine like a light. And they won't think that there's a hospital in the church. And they won't think that that's a place of healing. And so this fear and anxiety, I can just see the Lord is going to keep the church from the fear and anxiety, right? The fear and anxiety is not going to manifest in the church. And so I want to come with some understanding about that so we can understand how the world tries to tempt us with fear and anxiety. I do a lot of counseling. I don't just pastor a church. I do a lot of counseling. And I don't just counsel people in my church. In fact, most of the counseling I do are people that go to other churches, And, 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 and people that, go, that, that, that don't go to church at all. And one of the biggest things I encounter is fear and anxiety. The young people whose parents bring them to me. That's the thing I see. Right? And so fear and anxiety comes from, it comes from the, the cares that go along with the life that is of this world. I'm going to say that again. Fear and anxiety comes from the cares that go along with the life that's of this world. The care that's in the world is full of fear and anxiety. Amen. It just is. Yeah. 
And that's why people are filled with so much fear and anxiety, because they're looking to see their lives cared for by the world. But the more they look to see their lives cared for by the world, the more they see the world doesn't have the ability to care for their life. Because they're looking for the kind of care that's incorruptible, that can't be corrupted. Well, the world can't give you the kind of care that's incorruptible. The kind of care the world can give you is corrupted. And so, of course, you'll be filled with fear and anxiety if you're looking around you to find your life cared for, if you're looking around you to find the ability for your life to flourish and for your life to be filled with peace and love and joy. It can only fill you with fear and anxiety. But that's not the only kind of care that there is. There's also the care that comes from God. God cares for you. God cares for you. And he has taken it upon himself to give your life the care that it needs. And when you can see the thought that God has taken to care for your life, I mean, when you can have your eyes popped open, Jesus said he came to heal the blind. And we, he, yes, you can heal physical blindness, and that's a powerful thing, but I promise you that's not the real power. You can heal somebody's physical blindness and the eyes of their understanding never be popped open. And so we heal physical blindness so that we can then pop open the eyes of their understanding about the love of God. And they can see the care that he's really taken for their life when he conquered death in the body of Jesus' resurrection. When you can see the, the, the thought that this guy, God, people get upset when I say this guy, God. <laughs> it's not reverent enough, brother. <laughs> you know what real reverence looks like? It looks like you being a child in the presence of God where you're filled with so much innocence that you're not scrutinizing yourself because you don't think he's scrutinizing you. And you run up and jump into Papa's lap and you're pulling on his beard. So God, I've been persuaded, is my friend. And so I call God that, this guy sometimes. And the reason why I call him this guy is because there's no other guy like him. So this guy, <laughs> this guy, God, right? This guy, God. When you can see the care, this guy, God, the thought he's taken to care for your life, it will keep you from the cares that are in the world. It will keep you from fear and from anxiety. It's God's good pleasure to keep you from fear and anxiety. If we want to use a, a human perspective, I'll use a human perspective. He wakes up every day wanting to keep your heart. He keeps your heart because your heart is precious to him. He ever liveth to keep your heart. He ever liveth to uphold your life. He ever liveth to pamper you with peace. And so as this world continues to try to serve people with fear and anxiety, God is going to continue to pamper people with peace. The peace that passes understanding. The kind of peace that it don't make no sense for you to have peace. The kind of peace that makes foolish the wisdom of the world. That kind of a peace. Because you know what happens? That kind of a peace that makes foolish the wisdom of the world? It shines like the light in the midst of a world that's filled with fear and anxiety. And they see you and they're wondering, why do you have peace? Why are you sleeping in the boat when there's a storm and we're perishing? And that's actually the greatest evangelism tool that the church has for the fruit of the Spirit to be born in them. Because that fruit will start shining like a light. And when the world is being shook, and fear and anxiety is coming to everybody's house, and it's breaking everybody down, and we're sleeping in the boat, they're going to want to know why. Amen. Yeah. And then you're not, you don't even, there's nothing wrong with going and evangelizing. I evangelize all the time, but people will come to you. That's right. Amen. 
Why are you sleeping, brother? <laughs> Would it, Peter, say, be ready to give a testimony of the hope that you have? <laughs> uh, evangelism is awesome. When you're filled with the word of life, you will want to tell people, right? The problem is we've come at it backwards. We, we look at evangelism, we say evangelism is good. We must do it. Instead of being compelled by the love of God, right? Right, like Paul said. Paul said, I didn't go evangelize because someone told me I had to. I was arrested by the love of Christ for all people, right? That if one died for all, all were dead. And if he died for all, that means he wanted to resurrect everyone from the dead, right? And I want to come and tell people about that, that all who desire life, a life that can overcome the grave, all who desire to be called out of the grave, to be shed from their grave clothes could come out of the grave. Right? Does that make sense? We'll go to Jeremiah chapter 17. I can preach 50 million verses from Jeremiah chapter 17. Yeah, and I probably have. It's an amazing thing about the, ver the scriptures. When you see the spirit in the scriptures, you can find that you can preach the beginning from the end from a very small portion of passages. Amen. Right? And you can, you're like, how did this happen? <laughs> I mean, it was happening this morning when we were sitting there in the Bible study. The Bible study is awesome, man. That, was, that Bible study was awesome. And I mean, before I said anything, the Bible study was awesome. I'm not talking about because I said something. I'm talking about listening to you guys talk. It was awesome. Jeremiah 17, we'll look at verse 7 and 8. And it says, Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreads out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat comes, but her leaf shall be green. And shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Unceasing fruitfulness. Unceasing fruitfulness. A peace and a love and a joy that's unceasing. That's what God has promised all of us. Right? And when, when it says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. For so long I looked at trust in the Lord as I must trust in the Lord. <laughs> It's true, you will trust in the Lord when you see the Lord. But really what it's talking about is blessed is the man who sees that the Lord has in his heart to give him a life that is unceasing in his fruitfulness. That's why it says in whose hope the Lord is. Because when you see the Lord is desiring to give you a life that is unceasing in its fruitfulness, what will happen is, is you'll start looking to him for life in the river that comes flowing out of him instead of looking to the world for life. Yeah. And you'll be unceasing in your fruitfulness. The world is like a dry ground. What did it say about Jesus when he came into the earth? A root out of dry ground. And he came to bring in a river of life, right? That we could be trees planted by the rivers of that life. That even when we were in an earth that had a drought going on, the valley of the shadow of death, that had scorching heat, which just means tribulation. A drought and scorching heat means tribulation. That when we would find ourselves in that world, Jesus was a root out of a dry ground to bring forth a river of life that we could be as a tree planted with our roots spread out by that river and we would be unceasing in our fruitfulness even in the midst of the drought of this world, even in the midst of the scorching heat of this world. Our leaf will still be green. We will be unceasing in our fruitfulness. 
You see, the world's trying to like stress you out and make you think you need to find some miracle grow. <laughs> you know, like you see the scorching heat. I mean, you can see the, the fighting in this earth. You can see the tribulation going on. I mean, there's wars and rumors of wars. And there's not just actual wars out there with actual bombs and guns going off. There's wars and culture going on. That's the scorching heat. That's the drought. You could see those things and think you need some miracle grow. And you need to try and do this, or you need to try to do that so that you can gain life, right? You can easily find your mind filled with the cares that pertain to the life of this world thinking that it's the things of this world that can give your life the care that it needs. The things of this world cannot give your life the care that it needs. Things getting straightened out in the world system cannot give your life the kind of care that it needs Amen. because it's a dry ground, Amen. right? And so things like a drought, things like scorching heat, those are things that can choke out fruitfulness, the fruitfulness of a tree. Back in my house, my wife comes from a farming family. Her grandma was Italian. I say was Italian. She's with the Lord, so she is. Her grandma is Italian, and she came over on the boat in Ellis Island. And so, you know, she, she barely spoke English, you know, and she would tell me, and you know, and you know, Mr. Henry, there was no one to meet me when I got off of the boat. <laughs> She's 18 years old, shipped over on a boat to come to America all by herself because her family in Italy was run over by the Nazis and Mussolini. And they took over her farm. And their parents sent all of their daughters to different countries. So she's got all these fruit trees in her yard. So my, life, my wife loves fruit trees. They made wine. They had vineyards and they made wine in California. So we have our house. I think God just just did it because, you know, my, my, it just happened this way because my wife loves this. But we have a satsuma tree, satsuma trees. Satsuma is like a miniature orange that's sweeter, doesn't have seeds um, in the south. And we have a sweet lemon tree, and we have some blueberry bushes. And, and uh, man, there's been some scorching heat in Louisiana the last month and a half. Um, there, and it's been like a drought where your grass starts to look like, you know, it's burnt up. Uh, yeah, straw. <laughs> exactly, brother. And there were times that I was concerned that it would affect the fruitfulness of those trees, right? The, dr the drought and the scorching heat and all those different kinds of things. Now, luckily, the, the blueberry bush just oh, super abounded, right, with blueberries. And we'll, we'll, we'll still, it remains to be seen what will happen with the satsumas and the, the sweet lemons. But that's the kind of thing that can affect a fruit tree, drought and scorching heat. So Jeremiah comes with a picture. He talks about a tree that does not cease in yielding fruit. It's unceasing, even in a drought. He says its leaf is green. Even in the scorching heat, its leaf is still green. He says this tree is not careful in the year of a drought. Not careful. Do you know what that means? This tree is not thinking of the drought. This tree is not thinking of the scorching heat. This tree, and because it's not thinking of the drought, and it's not thinking of the scorching heat, because that's not filled in its mind, it's not filled with anxiety and fear, it says. That's what the word careful means, to be anxious or afraid. 
This tree is not anxious or afraid in the midst of the drought or the scorching heat. This tree is not thinking, where's the miracle grow? Can anyone come and bring me the miracle grow? Because it's a drought, don't you know, and I need to be fruitful. This tree is not thinking that, it says. And it says the reason why this tree is not thinking that is because this tree sees the river of life. And this tree sees that it's planted by the waters. And this tree sees that its roots are spread out by the water. So this tree sees the river. It sees the water. And what it says in its mind is this river, this water, is taking thought to give my branches, my roots, the care that it needs. It sees that this river is going to give me the care that it needs so I can be exceedingly fruitful. So fear and anxiety is far removed from it. Who cares about the drought? Who cares about the scorching heat if there's a river feeding you with nutrients? If there's a river that has the care that you need to be fruitful, your mind is thinking about the care that the river will give you. Well, Jeremiah goes on to say something powerful. He says that this tree is as a person whose trust is in the Lord. And so this person is unceasing. You want to be unceasing in your fruitfulness? How many of you want to be unceasing in your fruitfulness? I do, right? And I see that I'm as a branch, which means I don't have to make myself fruitful. What, what that tells me is the Lord has promised me that he will produce his fruit in me and that he will give my life the kind of care that will produce unceasing fruitfulness in me. These trees are like a person that's unceasing in their fruitfulness when everything in the world is going right? No. When everything lines up perfectly, this tree is fruitful? No. This tree is as a person that even in the drought, even in the middle of the tribulation, even in the middle of everything around it, falling down everywhere, this tree is unceasing in its fruitfulness. Amen. That's right. And why? Jesus, Jesus was a root out of a dry ground. That means he was in the middle of a drought. He was in the middle of the scorching heat. On the cross, he was a root out of a dry ground. There was a scorching heat. There was a drought. And it didn't look like there were the nutrients present that he needed to be fruitful. But he was a tree that was unceasing in his fruitfulness because he saw that the Father was in him and he was in the Father. And the Father was a river of living water for him. And even in the midst of the drought, in the midst of the scorching heat, which was the death of the cross, my man was filled with peace. My man was filled with love. My man was filled with joy. So much so that he cared more about the people crucifying them than he did himself. His branches were so full of fruit that even as he was dying on the cross, people could come and get shade under him. Oh, hallelujah. He didn't think of the scorching heat. He wasn't careful in the year of the drought. He didn't consider the death that come upon him because he saw his life wasn't from the earth. His life was from above. And so he thought of the life he shared with the Father from the beginning. And he began thinking about the Father and how the Father had taken thought to care for his life. And how the Father wasn't going to allow his life to suffer corruption. That the Father wasn't going to leave his life in death. But that the Father would raise him up in glorified immortal flesh. That was the hope of the Lord. He saw the life that the Father was going to manifest in him. Oh, hallelujah. 
<laughs> there's, two, there's two types of care. The care that's in the world, and then there's the care that comes from God. Right? And what are we, what are we taking thought of? Are we taking thought of our own lives and what we need to care for our own lives and what we need from the world and to go right in the world for our lives to be cared for? Or are we thinking of the thought that God has taken to care for our life? When he raised a man out of the grave never to be able to die again. You guys following me? Glory to God. The parable of the sower sowing the seed. We all know it, don't we? I mean, I think I was like three years old the first time somebody taught me that. You hear people teach a lot of things about the parable of the sower sowing the seed. You'll find people telling you it's even about money. (laughs) I don't say you can't have money. And I don't say that people won't give into your bosom when they find their lives touched by the love of God. You'll find generosity pour out of people, right? But it's not necessarily them trying to sow a seed, right? It's that a seed has been sown into them, and they've been persuaded that they have all things. And a person who's been persuaded that they have all things find themselves giving generously, right? Because they've tapped into a life that there is no lack. They've tapped into a well that is a well of living water. And out of that well of living water comes abundance. But the parable of the sower sowing the seed talks about the cares of the world. I'm not going to read the whole parable because I want to highlight this part of it. It talks about the cares of the world, doesn't it? You guys know what I'm talking about? You ever wondered what the cares of the world are? I know I'm challenging because I want to challenge everyone to consider what it is they actually think these things mean. Instead of just reading them, because we've been taught to read them, we should read them, it's good to read them, they're there, let's read them. Right? What are the cares of the world? If we're not even sure what the cares of the world are, then how are we going to find our hearts kept from the cares of the world? In the day that the serpent, or in the day that the world is trying to tempt us with the cares of the world, if we don't know what they are, how are we going to find ourselves being delivered? So the parable of the sower sowing the seed, talks about the cares of the world and how the cares of the world can do what? Choke out the power of the word to produce its fruit. Listen, I've been in grace for a long time. I have. And the Father is not judging us by the amount of fruit that is manifesting in our life. He's not. But glory to God, man, if we've come out of Egypt, Let us enter into the promised land where there's vineyards that haven't been planted, but where we're partaking of the fruit, not by our own strength to produce it, but where we find by God himself, he has produced his fruit in us. Let us find our lives healed from the works of the flesh, not by our doing, thinking that God commanded us to do that, but by us being put to rest by God. Because, listen, if you're not experiencing the fruit of peace, Something I know about human beings is they're not just going to sit there. You're going to try to get peace for yourself. And so if you're not getting the peace that cometh from God, which is the only true peace, you're going to start trying to satisfy your own desire for peace. And the moment that happens is when you could start bearing the works of the flesh. 
And you could even hate those things and wonder, how did this happen? (laughs) The good that I want to do, I don't find myself doing. And the bad that I don't want to do is the very thing I find coming out of me. So the, the cares of the world, Jesus said, this is Jesus. He says it chokes out the power of the word. We all want the power of the word manifested in our life, don't we? We all like the sound of being fruitful. We just like the sound of being fruitful. Now add unceasing in your fruitfulness. And now we're like, oh, hallelujah. We're like Rocky Balboa in the middle of the world. Ain't so bad. Ain't so bad. Right? The world could be slugging us like Clubber Lane. Ain't so bad. Ain't so bad. (laughs) We think that life sounds good. Well, that's what the sower came to sow. The sower came to sow that kind of a life into our hearts. And he says the cares of this world can choke out the power of that. And so the cares of the world, they're the cares that go along with the life that's of the world. They're the cares that go along with the life that's of the world. Adam built a corruptible life in this world when he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He built a life that's subject to decay, a a life that's subject to moth and rust, a life that's subject to death when he did that. The life that's of the world, guess what? It's not planted by the river. Its roots aren't spread out by the river. It's planted in dry ground. So do you know what you're always thinking about? The scorching heat. You're always thinking about the drought. You're always thinking about all the things going on around you and how they need to be set straight in order for you to have life. You're always looking at the world around you as if those things need to be fixed for you to be fruitful. Your mind is filled with the cares of the world. I'm sorry. I say this to you because I love you. And I'm not indifferent to the calamity in the world. But I know the way the serpent works. He tempted Jesus with the calamity that came upon him at the cross. He, picked, he tempted Jesus. He tried to fill Jesus' mind with the cares that pertain to the life he had in the world. And that's how he does the same thing to us. He wants to fill our minds with all the things going on around us that we see aren't exactly right so that we can be caught up in those things as if our life is hid there. That's what he wants to do. That's what it wants to do. And so the life that's of the world is planted in a dry ground. Its thoughts are filled with the scorching heat, as if the scorching heat can keep it from being fruitful. Its thoughts are filled with the drought, as if the drought can keep it from being fruitful. And it's left in the place where it's all the time thinking of how can I get the nutrients that I need to have life? In this last political season, how many of you thought that what was happening in the political environment in America could keep you from having a good life? Well, then whose life are we busy with? Can a government in this world keep God from having life? Well, where are our roots spread out by? So we can look at what's going on around us and we can see it's corrupt and we can see that that's not born from God, but let us see that our roots are not planted in that. Let's not have our thoughts filled with the drought. Let's not have our thoughts filled with the corruption going on around us as if the corruption can keep us from being fruitful. Because if you get caught up in thinking the corruption can keep you from being fruitful, now you're filled with the cares of this world. 
And now all your days, you're not walking in the good work of God, but you're busy walking in the work you think you need to do in order to fix the corruption so that you can then have life after the corruption's fixed. That's called living from the sweat of your brow. That's the cursed life. <laughs> it leaves you thinking of the riches of the world as if that's what can give your life the nurture that it needs. That chokes out the word that God sowed into the earth to make us unceasingly fruitful. How many of you felt peace when you were looking around at all the tribulation and corruption you saw going on around you? Did anybody feel like, oh, hallelujah, the more I eat on this tribulation, the more full of peace I feel? Let's just weigh that thing in the balance. How many of you felt an overwhelming joy and love for your enemy as you watched the corruption around you? How many of you thought, let me go hug the person messing everything up and kiss them on the cheek and tell them I love them? <laughs> or how many of you were filled with, they're the devil? <laughs> oh, I thank God that when he saw we were filled with the devil, he loved us. And even laid down his life in our midst. Blessed are the peacemakers, it says. The church is supposed to be the peacemaker in the earth. And that's how the love of God overcomes a multitude of sin, a multitude of evil. You guys follow me? The world says you, there's a life that's of this world. Paul said we're in this world, but we're not of this world. And that's where we get real confused because we're in this world, so it's so easy for our life to connect to the things in this world as if our life is hid there. And then we become very upset when those things get shooken because we think our life is being shook. But where is your life? Your life is hidden with God in Christ. Paul come and said, you're already dead. So why are you fearing what the world can do to you? You already died to the world in Christ. The world already gave you its best shot when it nailed Jesus to the tree because you were in him. And so you're dead, he says. He says, set your affection on high, where your life is hid with God in Christ. That's the river of life. That's what will make you unceasing in your fruitfulness. The world says you need certain things to have a good life. I know, I was taught. You need this, you need, there's a long list. I got, a, I got some good ability. I just got to be honest. I'm the kind of guy that had some good ability. Most everything I picked up to do, I could do it at a high level. So it was very deceiving for me. Because I actually believed for a while I could get it. I could do it. And I, the world would say, well, Greg, you accomplished a lot. Now what are you accomplishing? You're just a preacher. You could have done so many things. The world doesn't honor the Christ man. The world does not respect the Christ man, right? So I tried, and I gained a whole lot of things. You know what I found? No matter what I achieved, no matter what I gained, you know what I always heard? One thing you lack. Yeah. One thing you lack. Anybody ever heard the voice that told you you lacked? Yeah. Guess what? That cometh not from God. That voice cometh not from God. The moment you feel lack, let me tell you, Jesus said, my sheep know the voice of the Father. 
In the voice of the stranger, they shall not know. Let me go ahead and just discern your life for you now in the midst of this place. When you hear a word telling you you lack, that cometh not from God. God's not the one who uncovers our nakedness. He came and asked Adam, who told you you were naked? It's the serpent that uncovers our nakedness. And the way he uncovers our nakedness is he comes and says, one thing you lack that you need to have life. But the scripture says God has given us all things that pertain to having life and godliness. In Christ Jesus. And there's nothing keeping anyone from Christ Jesus. We can all come and eat freely right now. So in the day you need peace, in the day you need love, in the day you need joy, the power unto those things is not contained in the world around you. It's contained in the Christ man. The man that conquered this world, the man that conquered the grave, the man that conquered death and is seated at the right hand of a God with a sinless life, a life that has no spots and blemishes, a life that can never be touched by weakness or sin and death again. Within his body is the nutrients we need for life. Not in our corrupt government getting it right. And I agree with you, the government is corrupt. I hate to break it to you, the government was always corrupt. Because it was always built on a perishable life. That's why it says the government shall be upon his shoulders. The shoulders of what? His indestructible life. The only government that will actually serve people with life is the kind of government that's built on an indestructible life. As much as we can love America, as much as we can think the Constitution is a good thing, listen, man, those things don't possess an indestructible life. And neither are they built upon an indestructible life. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I love America. My grandfather was dropped in the ocean um, and had to storm the, the, the beaches where the Japanese had taken over the, the islands. Was it Normandy? The same day that they, they laid siege on Normandy? My dad was in the service. So I'm not against America, guys, but America cannot make you unceasingly fruitful. Right? And I rejoice in Independence Day. And I rejoice that we could sit here and preach the gospel. But I see it as a shadow, really, not the substance. And so I don't just think of the independence that I'm thankful we have here in America, but I think about the independence we have because Christ rose out of the grave, free from death. And he got it right to liberate our lives from being held by this world. And now our lives are hid in his government. We're citizens of a heavenly country, it says. A heavenly country. One where there is no drought or scorching. You know what? When I go to Switzerland, things are expensive in Switzerland. You know when I go to Switzerland, I don't care what their tax code is. I don't care how much their medical insurance is. I don't, I don't even know. I'm there walking around doing it. I don't know. When I go to Ireland, I don't care what their tax code is. I don't know. Do you know why I don't know? Because I'm not a citizen of Ireland. I'm not a citizen of Switzerland. We're citizens of a heavenly country. And we know more about the laws that pertain to this world than we do about the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's fine for the world. But we're the church. You know what the church means? Ecclesia, it means called out ones. It means to be called out from the systems of the world. That's what it means. And it doesn't mean you hide from the world. It doesn't mean you retract from being with the people in the world. But you don't live as if your life is held in their systems. You live knowing your life is hid in Christ. That will make you unceasingly fruitful. The world says you need certain things to have a good life. We've all heard it. And we've all felt torment when we didn't think we had the things it says you need to have. We all felt like, don't you care, Lord? (laughs) Where are you? 
I'm perishing. Do you see how we were mindful of the scorching heat instead of the river of life? <laughs> and then we had an opportunity to return from the country from which we left out, right? Because we were called out of the world. We heard the voice of Christ. We said, oh, hallelujah. And we walked out, right? But then the moment we see the cares of the world, it choke, chokes out the power of the word because we think we don't have something we need for our life to be cared for. And it calls us back to the country from which we walked out of. And we begin looking around for life in the world again and judging the care of God for our lives by what we see happening in the world. That will choke out. I'm not trying to tell you how to live. I'm telling you what will choke out the power of the word to make you unceasingly fruitful. And I'm telling you not to correct you. I'm telling you so that you can be as a tree planted by the waters that is unceasing in its fruitfulness as we're living in a world that has a drought and that has a scorching heat. When Jesus ascended to the heavenly place in the heavenly tabernacle with his blood after he was raised from the dead, Zechariah gives us a beautiful picture of what that looked like. And Satan was standing there opposed to, to Joshua, the high priest, uncovering his nakedness, pointing at his filthy rags. And what does Michael say? The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Is this not a man that's been plucked out of the fire, the scorching heat, the drought? You are as a man... You are as a woman that has been plucked out of the scorching heat, that has been plucked out of the drought. The cares of the world want to try to convince you that your roots are planted in the world and that they're not spread out by the river of life. Does that make any sense? So the world tells you all the things, the world says you need certain things to have a good life. It says you need to be strong according to the flesh. You need to look strong. You need to look beautiful. You need to have this kind of a look. You need to wear these kinds of a clothes. You need to be able to get these kinds of a clothes. You need to be able to have this kind of a thing. You've got to be strong after the flesh. Did Jesus look strong according to the flesh? No. It says you've got to be wise after the flesh. You've got to be wise according to the world. This is the world. The world says you've got to be wise. How many of you ever felt like you're not real smart? Who told you you're not real smart? The world came and told you you're not real smart. The world tried to come and tell you that. It was trying to fill you with the cares of the world. Did Jesus look wise according to the flesh? He looked like he was the dumbest guy that ever lived. I mean, he couldn't even avoid the cross, and he knew it was coming. That don't look real smart. <laughs> The world says you need to be noble according to the flesh. You've got to have the honor that's in the world. You've got to have nobility. You need to have the glory that comes from the world. You need the world to acknowledge you and acknowledge your beauty. That's what the world says you need. Did Jesus look noble according to the flesh? Well, Paul come and said that that's the wisdom and power of God unto salvation, wholeness, fruitfulness. And he said that that wisdom that was seen in Christ, that it's not the strong according to the world, not the wise according to the world, not the noble according to the world. It says it made foolish the wisdom of the world, which said that life was found in the strength in the world. When we're filled with the cares of the world, that's what we're saying. We're saying that the strength that is needed for us to be fruitful is found in the things in the world, in the things in the world going right. And now we're all caught up in trying to fix the things in the world. No, you walk in the good work of God. 
and what he's done to serve you with life, and you'll find yourself exceedingly fruitful. It's a heavy burden trying to gather peace and love and joy to yourself. It's a heavy burden. I know, because when I tried, man, it got worse. I was more tormented than I was before I tried. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I mean, I ended up dead in a hospital bed trying to give myself peace. There's a lot of fear and anxiety involved in trying to squeeze peace and love and joy out of the world. There's a lot of fear and anxiety involved. Do you know why? Because the world and its systems doesn't have peace and love and joy to give. It promises you it can give it to you. If you could just get the right this, the right that, if you could just fix this, if you could just set up the right kinds of things, then that will be the power to give you peace and love and joy. That's the cares of the world. That chokes out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That's what it does. Adam was filled with the cares of this world. In the garden, after he ate from the tree and his nakedness was uncovered. He was filled with the heavy weight of trying to find peace and love and joy through the world that was around him and through himself. And it says he was filled with fear and shame. It was a crushing anxiety that came upon him. His mind was filled with trying to uphold a life that is perishing. This world doesn't have eternal life. Do you know what it means that this world, and I don't mean the earth, there's a difference between the earth and the world. Do you know what it means that this world doesn't have eternal life? It's perishing. And we're busy looking to something that's perishing for something that can't perish. And we never understand what it's doing to us. How it's also filling us with the fruit that's perishing. And the fruit that's perishing, do you know what that looks like? Fear and anxiety. <laughs> mm. The world wants to steal your innocence. It wants to steal your childhood. We talk about that all the time, right? Oh, their innocence was stolen. Their childhood was stolen. And what do we mean when we say that? We mean that what happened is that the cares of the world came to them and they were immediately confronted with this world and the hateful and negative things that go on in the world and they were immediately carrying a heavy burden about their life. That's what the world wants to do to you. It wants to steal your innocence. It wants to steal your childhood. It wants to get you to take up your own life and to think that you have to take up your own life. It wants to make you think that you're an orphan in the earth without a father to give your life the care that it needs. And it even wants to point to the hell that comes upon you and use that to try to accuse God to you, to try to tell you, where's your God now? Do you want to know where your God is now? Your God has conquered death in the flesh because he cares for you. And that's actually the only thing that can make you fruitful was for him to come and overcome death inside of the body of Jesus Christ so that he could pour out of himself a Holy Spirit that could dwell in all of us, that could also overcome death in us, that could be a river of life in us, a well of living water. Going back to the parable of the sower sowing the seed. How long have I been going? Does anybody know? I don't want to try to keep you guys here too long because I preached like nine hours, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. No one knows? All right, well, you guys, I don't know. You might have sinned. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> I gave you your chance. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. I purposed to not keep you here all day on Sunday. Going back to the parable of the sower sowing the seed, I want to try and highlight something that this is talking about that I think can get lost in the minutia. Jesus says the sower sows the seed. I want to try and say this slowly. 
Jesus says the sower sows the seed. Now, we've kind of read that. Maybe it's just me. But we've kind of read that from the perspective of the sower sows the Bible. Or the sower sows the scriptures. Because later Jesus comes and describes the seed as the word, doesn't he? And our reference point for the word tends to be more the scriptures or the Bible. And I don't say that the word isn't contained in the scriptures or that it isn't contained in the Bible. It is. But when Jesus says the sower sows the seed, he's talking about the sower sows the word of life. That's the seed. Jesus is the seed, right? The scripture says the word was made flesh, right? So Jesus is the word. And so the seed that was sowed into the earth is Jesus the word. John would come and say, describing Jesus as the word made flesh, that which we, from the beginning, that which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have held, which we have touched, which we have handled, of the word of life. So the sower, the parable of the sower sowing the seed is talking about the sower coming to sow the word of life into the earth. And Jesus is that word of life. He is the incorruptible seed of God's life that God came to sow. So who's the sower that sowed the word of life? And why did they sow the word of life? There is intimacy within this parable. There is relationship within this parable. There is the love of God for us contained in this parable. Because the father is the sower. He's the one who sowed. And what he sowed was a word of life. And why did he sow this word of life? Was he just like randomly out there one day? Let's scatter some seed and see what happens. I like to farm. Let's see what springs up. Or was he purposeful about what he was doing? He was. See, a parable, you know what it says about a parable? That it's a dark saying. That it isn't apparent what it's talking about. There's something hidden in there. And as we talked about in the meetings about Revelation, is that the Father wants to engage you in a dance. It's a waltz. And so the true meaning of this parable is a little bit hidden because the Father wants to catch you up in a conversation with Him where you guys can have a dance and He can waltz you around and He can talk in your ear about what it means through intimacy and through relationship. So the Father sowed the seed into the earth. The reason why He sowed the seed into the earth is to care for your life. That's why. He saw your life needed to be cared for. I used to tell God, don't you care, Lord, like I said. And then he started showing me how he cared more than I could ever possibly imagine. And then he started showing me what it looks like that he cared and what he did. And so he sowed the seed, the word of life, into the earth to care for our life. He saw the scorching heat. He saw the dry ground. He saw the drought, and he wanted to pamper us with his life. He wanted to swaddle us from the blood of death with the light of his life. You know, you swaddle a baby from their blood. Blood is a symbol of death in the scriptures. And so God saw us in our blood. It actually says that in Ezekiel. I walked by you, and you were in your blood. And it was the time of life. It was the time of love, he says. And I spread my skirt over you. And so God saw us welting under the heat of the tribulation in the world, welting under the death that was in the world, and he cared for us. He was the lover of our lives, and so he sowed his incorruptible life into the earth. He sowed the word of his life into the earth to care for us. That's why he did it. He wanted to serve you with a living water. 
So you could be as a tree that was unceasing in your fruitfulness. So that your roots, the root of your life, could be planted in his living water, in his incorruptible life. So as you walked in a world that was filled with corruption, you would find a fruit that was incorruptible coming out of you. And you'd be unceasing in your fruitfulness. That's him caring for your life. Do you know what your life needs to be cared for? It needs peace. It needs love. It needs joy. It needs meekness. It needs kindness. It needs patience. That's the kind of care your life needs. And the only thing that can give your life that kind of care is an incorruptible life. And so he saw exactly what we needed. And he sowed exactly what we needed into the earth in his son, Jesus Christ. But we despise the light manna. This light manna. I'm describing myself. Maybe you didn't. I was for years. Don't you care, Lord? I didn't realize what I was doing, but at the time I was despising the manna from heaven. Acting as if he hadn't given my life the care that it needed when he had poured out of himself the bread of life. And here he had prepared a table for me in the midst of an earth that was surrounded by death. And that table could cause my cup to runneth over even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. And I was busy crying out for the flesh. Give me the things in the world around me so I can have peace. I was despising the bread that actually had peace in it. Uh, but he's relentless. And he kept pursuing me because he cared for me. Jesus says in Matthew 6, this was a hard saying for me, take no thought for your life. <laughs> what? What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> take no thought for your life. What you will eat or what you will wear. What did this current political climate do to us? In the COVID, what did it do to us? It got us to try to take thought of our life. Cares of the world. But Jesus says, take no thought of your life, what you will wear or what you will eat. He says, the, the birds and the lilies... Neither sow nor reap. I thought I had to sow money for God to take care of me. But Jesus says, the birds and the lilies neither sow nor reap. It's awesome to give money. It is. It's, it's more blessed to give than to receive. When you find the well of living water living out of you, you will be a giver. That's what will happen to you. But if you're busy thinking that you're going to get your life taken care of by the money that you sow, you're filled with the cares of the world. You are taking thought for your life. If you're giving money thinking that's the power unto you being cared for, you're taking thought for your life. And neither the birds or the lilies sow nor reap, and yet your heavenly Father cares for them. That was hard for me. I don't know if you guys know I'm a minister. I remember telling the Lord, how am I going to survive, Lord? Listen, ministers need to come to the place where they're just honest with themselves and let the Lord deal with their fear. Because it is a fearful thing. Listen, I was in the world. I worked at a finance company. My wife and I made a lot of money. And then the Lord was like, time to start the church. I was like, you're crazy. <laughs> and there was no umbrella for us. We left and went and started a church out of nowhere. And we went and started a church in like the midst of a place of people that do not like grace. And I come talking about sowing and reaping has got nothing to do with money. And Jesus is the tithe. He's the meat that was brought into the storehouse. His flesh is meat indeed. I began talking like that. You think the other ministers around me like me? And the walls came tumbling down. But listen, fear came upon me. 
Not for my own life. I can be John the Baptist eating crickets. But my sweet, precious little wife. And I didn't realize what was getting to me. But the more people came to me and said, we don't like how loud you are. We don't like how you preach. We don't like how much you move. We don't like how you move your arms around. We don't like that you think Jesus is the tithe. We don't like that you telling us that if we give money, we can't be blessed by God. We don't like any of it. And immediately I started becoming very fearful, and I didn't know why. And I started trying to fix the way I did things, and I didn't know why. And one day the Lord brought it out of me. And what came out of me is, What's going to happen to my wife? How is my wife going to live and survive, Lord? And he said, Greg, do you think I need people to like you to take care of your life? Do you think I need people to think you're a good preacher to take care of your life? And it set me free. And so preachers need to be set free from that. That's not just the people. It's abusing the preachers. Because they're taking thought of their life and their ministry. And right, if we'll just preach the gospel, we can make our needs available and people will be filled with generosity. And they will give unto the good work. And you will find the ministry supported by God and not by your sowing and reaping money. Right? Glory to God. I love this church. I give unto this church. I give unto this church because this church is filled with the life of God. Right? So when Jesus says to take no thought for your life, he's not giving you an order to perform. He's not giving you a commandment to perform. What he's trying to point to is the thought God has taken for your life. That's why he says, consider the birds and the lilies. So he's not trying to tell you, you shouldn't take thought of your life, you bad boy or girl. You can, it's impossible for you to get that right. But if your mind is filled with the thought God has taken to care for your life, you'll find yourself not taking thought of your life. You'll find that you've, you've, your life feels so cared for that there's no more space for you to even consider that your life needs to be cared for. You'll feel so loved that you don't feel like there's any more room for any more love to come. And then you stop needing love from people. It's wonderful when you love people. But I promise you, when you walk into the love of God, that's so much love from God, you don't need love from people anymore. And then it's a magical thing that happens. You don't hate the people that didn't love you right. Because the reason you hate the people that didn't love you right is because you were still needing love. But all the love you need is found in God. And when you see the thought that he's taken to care for your life and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no more space for you to need love. There's no more space that you need for your life to be cared for. It has been cared for. Then you become a person possessed in the earth. Like Paul said, I labored more abundantly than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. Yeah. Right? So Jesus wants to give us a single eye when he says take no thought to care for your life. He knows if our eyes can be fixed on the care God has provided for our life in the resurrection, what will happen is we'll be made as little children all again. When none of us were worried about the cares of the world, you remember when you were a little child, you didn't even know that there was anything to be concerned about. You didn't even think of it. Our world is so filled with the cares of the world that we're even now taking the little children in kindergarten and filling them with the anxiety in the world. We're robbing their childhood. And the, the, those children are going to need the gospel. 
And they're going to need the church because they're going to need to be healed. And we don't look at what the world is doing to the children as if the world can overcome those children's lives because the world cannot overcome the resurrection from the dead. But what we need to do in the church is come into the knowledge that God has conquered death in the flesh. We need to come into the understanding of the thought God has taken to care for our lives so that our buildings, our gatherings, our homes become a hospital for all those children when they're filled with anxiety and fear. But it's like judgment must first come to the house of the Lord. And I don't mean condemnation. I mean the truth must first come to the house of the Lord. Still nobody knows? Humble yourselves, under, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I'm going to move through this quickly so we can finish it up. You can't just cast the care for your life into someone's hands. It's not possible. The human heart, heart doesn't work that way. So Peter's not telling you, you must cast your care, the cares of your life, into the hands of God. You need to first see that someone cares for you. And not only that they care for you, you need to then see that they possess the ability to give your life the kind of care that it needs. And if you can begin to see that this person cares for me more than they care for themselves, they prefer my life over their own life, and they actually have the thing I need for my life to be cared for. When you begin to see that about a person, what will happen is, is you'll gladly call upon that person and say, into your hands I commit my life. Into your hands, I commit my desire for peace. Into your hands, I commit my desire for love, for joy, for patience, for meekness. Into your hands, Lord, for I see that you care for me. Jesus didn't cast his care, his, the care of his life into the hands of the Father because the Father told him he had to. Jesus saw the Father cares for him. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he didn't think the life that he needed was found in coming off of the cross. He didn't think the life that he needed was found in avoiding the cross. He saw the life that he needed, the care that his life needed, was found in incorruptible, immortal flesh. And he said the only person that can clothe upon this mortal body with immortality is the Father of lights in heaven. He saw the Father had the care that he needed. He saw the Father had the peace that he needed. And it was found in the life that he shared with the Father from the beginning. And because he saw the Father cared, he humbled himself under the mighty hand of God. Amen. You can't be told to humble yourself. You can't bring that forth yourself. But when you can see that God's hand is mighty and that his hand has the care that you need, that within his hand is the only life that can serve you with peace and love and joy, you will find yourself submitting unto his hand. And you will find his hand raising you up. And you will be unceasing in your fruitfulness. Hallelujah. I thought I was going to be calm. See... So, some of these guys know me, so they sat on the second seat so they wouldn't be spit on. <laughs> but like I tell the people in my church, man, if I spit on you or I fling sweat on you, be healed in the name of Jesus. Receive ye strength in the name of Jesus. Right? God makes foolish the wisdom of this world. He confounds the wise. <laughs> what did Jesus do? I love the, the guy that was blind. Jesus spit in the mud and took the mud and fashioned the mud and put it in the guy's eyes. I used to think, why'd you do that, Lord? What's going on there? And then I realized that Jesus is God. 
And God formed man's body out of the dust of the ground. And now this man needed new eyes to be formed for him. So Jesus, once again as God, took the dust of the ground, spit in it, and molded new eyes and gave it to him. Behold the life of God. It's not at the mercy of this world. It's not at the mercy of the corruption in this world. It doesn't need this world to line up for it to be fruitful. God do what he do. His life does what it does. And the cross and the resurrection is a display for us because we all thought the corruption in the world could keep us from life. Every single one of us had walked out of the way. We'd all believed the poison of asp. And we thought that this world could get in the way of us having life. So God said we need to do an experiment in front of these people because these people don't understand the life we have in ourselves even overcomes death in the flesh. So Jesus, what you're going to do is you're going to enter into the earth and then we're going to let all the death and corruption in the cosmos come upon you at the cross. And then the Holy Spirit will strengthen you in the inner man, Jesus, to call upon the Father in the midst of you needing life and in the midst of you suffering at the hands of death. And then the Father says, I'm going to come and I'm going to raise you up out of the grave. And we're going to once and for all put our life next to the corruption in the world so our people might know that our life is not at the mercy of the world. Our life does not need the world to go right to manifest. And then you become filled with that and you start walking around calling people out of their grave clothes. Lazarus, come forth. I am the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. In him is a life that even raises people up out of the grave. How much more shall his life that's in us now raise us up out of this present evil generation? You don't need the world to be fruitful. I got a lot more, but I, I think I covered it. You guys get the point? I just want to finish with that. You don't need the world to be fruitful. You don't need the systems of the world to be exceedingly fruitful. That's not the river. That's a dry ground. I know it's telling you it's a river, but it's a dry ground. And you don't need that. There's no shame for you if you find yourself concerned with the hell you see going on around you. But in the place of you feeling concerned about the hell that's going on around you and your thoughts being confronted with the hell, let your mind wonder to the thought God has taken to care for your life when he conquered death in the flesh of Jesus. When you find yourself stressed out or being pressed in by all the things you see going on around you that are not right, that you can clearly see they are not born from above, Lord. Let your mind wander to the thought God has taken to give your life the care that it needs when he overcame death in the body of Jesus' death and resurrection. You are not one flesh with this world. You are one body with God and his indestructible life through the Lord Jesus. And that's what you need to fellowship with when you feel concerned. Then it's okay to feel concerned. Even Jesus himself felt concerned. And he went off and did what? Prayed with the Father. Teach us what you're doing when you're praying, Lord. My Father, who art in heaven, he goes into. Hallowed be thy name. You know what hallowed means? To be set apart. Set apart unto what? Serving me with life. He called him Father because that's where his life came from. He was being reminded that his life wasn't hid in the world, but that his life was hid in the Father and the Father was in him. Hallowed be your name. You are set apart unto caring for my life. This world cannot care for my life. You are the lover of my life. You are the one that's passionate about me being fruitful. Glory to God. Thank you, Father, that you're with us. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you're not just with us, but... You're so wonderfully beautiful that you get it right to be with us and in us simultaneously. Thank you, Father, that you are upholding our lives. 
that you are upholding our house. Thank you, Lord, that you give us eyes to see your hand upholding our lives, that you give us eyes to see that you have planted our lives into the river of your life. Thank you, Lord, that as the world around us might be shaken, that we'll find ourselves uh, standing up taller and brighter, and that we'll find the church become a hospital for those the world has made sick. Thank you, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is just ministering to people's hearts. Glory to God. I love you guys. Thank you so much for your time. Y'all are awesome. Oh, you, you need this? I'm going to go sit down. Eat, drink. Uh, yeah, can you hit stop?